Mir. Super, super awesome to have you at the Goodman podcast today. I love to see you again. It's been a long time since we met in South Africa, in Cape Town, when we were at the, the EOGLC. Next one coming up soon in Singapore, so that'll be very exciting. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll see you there again, uh, potentially. But Nir, today it's all about you. Why don't you tell our audience about who you are, what you do, perhaps your book as well. So over to you, sir. Nir, who is Nir? Thank you. I love the idea of putting the podcast The Good Man. Where does it come from? Well, uh, my company is called Goodman, and it's also like my sort of adopted middle name now. Adopted middle name. Um, you know, uh, I remember about 10 years ago, my dad calls me. He was sitting in a pub with his friends. And um, he says, listen, I'm in the toilet. Everybody's talking about their kids, the doctor, the lawyer, this. What, 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 do I, what do I tell them? What do you do? So what do you mean? I, I own a company. But, but what does the company do? Marketing. But give me, give me something. I'm like, I know, I've written two novels. I teach in universities. I teach at college. What, what do you want from me? And he said, uh, I need something. No. And I said, tell them I tell stories. And he said, okay. And they love. I think we're in this time in history where everybody still needs the box. What do you do? Right? I'm a businessman. I'm an entrepreneur. That could be vague enough for something. Since I was a kid, I like telling stories. I like movies. I like shows. I like having fun with these ideas. So I've been lucky enough to work with companies, businesses, and entrepreneurs all over the world the last few years, helping them use the storytelling techniques into their businesses. You know, come can go in different platforms and different things. And the first step of my journey for 23 has been to launch a book titled Fuck the Slides because I couldn't see any more bad presentations. Uh, I want to be clear, there's also a chapter in the book about what to do with slides. When I started, I was working with startups and it's very, very unlikely that a startup would present to an investor during the demo day without any slides. But what I learned is that the slides were not necessarily the problem that we didn't know how to create a short, compelling story. So we rely heavily on slides. And that took me on a very interesting journey in the last um, six, seven years almost, to teach people how to implement those storytelling techniques into their day-to-day -day raising capital, sales, scaling the businesses in different variations. And it's been quite awesome. That's fascinating, Neil. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, just on that, on that topic of storytelling and startups, you know, today in the data-driven thought process where everything is data-driven, you know, numbers, 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 uh, is it up by 1%, is it up by 0.1%, you know, is it, you know, what's conversion rate, for example, where do you see storytelling in that? Is it undervalued, is it overvalued? And what do you feel, why that's the case? So, you asked me, how do, you, how do I feel? You didn't ask me, how would I rate that opinion? Now, we interact using feelings and emotions. We don't interact with numbers. Numbers are the last piece, and I explained that in the book. When we come up with an idea, right? I don't ask you to rate the idea. I ask you, what do you think about it? And you have a way of measuring it internally. So 
we are not creatures of numbers. We use numbers as the logical part, right? You have a gut feeling, right? You can say that. So why? Because technically, you and I use emotions and feelings to understand if it's good or not, if it resonates, if it's interesting, if you want to hear more. We then use our brains in two other steps. One is the experience. Can, can I relate what you're saying? When did I have that feeling? As any old member, you understand what I'm saying now. Okay, using an experience share is often a way that your members use. So it's not exactly the same, but you can use that feeling, right? So what did I do? I used the story to make you feel what I want. And the last thing before we talk about data, the third piece which I explain in the book is we're very wise people. And when you read the book, technically, you're doing the heavy lifting. When I write a novel, right, a, well, I always say in my workshop, it's a piece of paper, white paper, and black ink. You do the heavy lifting in between the lines. You imagine the dragon. You imagine submarine. You imagine space. Now, once you have the full image, and it would be different from person to person, the last piece is if I like what I heard, I will need to back it up somehow. And the best example I can give you is the best sale is a no sale. So I'm not selling. And when I started my journey 20 years ago, I would sell snowboards in Israel. In a country that has 10 months of summer, I sold snowboards. Okay. And by the way, I was very good at selling snowboards. So I don't sell the snowboard. We sell the experience of snowboarding together in France on the mountain. When it's uh, Christmas or February, and, oh, the day is amazing. Sunday mm -hmm. outside, it's cold, but you can feel the beans, right? You open your jacket a bit, you put on your goggles, you look down, we're going to ride that mountain together. What an amazing day. If you want to feel that, by the way, this board is, is yours. This is what you need. So technically, we use emotions, experience, filling in the gaps, and then we use numbers. Now, when we implement uh, in a business a customer journey, that's I think would be the biggest thing now in 2024, in my opinion, in a company that doesn't implement, the better customer journey is making a mistake. It is the smallest effort with the biggest improvement, in my opinion. We've been seeing this, done this uh, the last six months from Australia to Brazil to South Africa to uh, Turkey and like you take the numbers, you go back, and you implement an emotional aspect for your user, and then measure again. Right? And we say, how can we increase the numbers? How can we improve the numbers? Right? If you only go back and forth with that, you give them a discount. It doesn't work. Hmm. Hmm. Understood. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, saying that, when I look at you know, I obviously I mentioned before I've invested some money into into few startups, and also in the past and even now you know we raise funds for different kind of things. But if you look at you know your approach is to perhaps walk away from traditional slide presentations, but even today a lot of startup founders, including myself, sometimes, well, on the last fundraising I didn't use any slides whatsoever. It was just literally a conversation. But I've seen 
traditionally, most startup founders will do a presentation for you. They will come with a slide deck and put that in front of you, either printed out format or they'll have a slide behind them and present. Do you feel that that's a old school approach and there's a new approach to say pitching using slides or no slides? I will say something now. It's very important that people hear, hear my, what I'm going to say. Okay. I'm not going to change the world. I don't need to change the world. I need you to change the way you view the world. People are accustomed to having a presentation with 10 slides. Great. That's your box. Now let's think outside of the box. If I take away the slides, what happens to you? You stammer. You improvise. You have no idea what you're supposed to say. You're using the slides as the crush, as, as your backbone for the conversation. If I ask you how long is the pitch, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes. Why? Why isn't it seven and a half? Why is it nine? What are you going to say to me in 10 minutes that will change the way I perceive your business idea? What is so profoundly amazing? Now, in the 10 minutes, what are you going to do? You're going to sell me your idea. Mm. Don't sell me the idea. I don't care. Most startup founders go into a room, there'll be three uh, people from the same fund, let's say, or you're doing that in a demo day in front of 60 people and everybody's sitting like this and going, sell me. Your thinking is I pitch for 10 minutes and ask for a million dollars. I'm saying, no, let's pitch for three minutes and ask you to open the door. That is why in the book I explain this is a trailer pitch, like you go to the movies, you will fall in love with the idea. I don't need to sell, I just need it to be interesting enough for you to say, hmm, wait, I have some questions. I don't want to miss this opportunity, so let me ask some questions. And in the sales pitch, once you start asking questions, if I don't fuck it up, I might get it. Mm. So again, the audience will do the heavy lift. So we need now to understand that if we cannot rely on the slides. The slides need to support us. Okay. Mm. So what are we left with? Us. And you, you are the presentation. But if it, your presentation is not well written and it's not organized and it's not built a certain way, you will lose. What is a certain way you will ask? Great. If we discuss the emotions and the feelings, and I'm asking you, how did you want me to feel at the beginning of your story? You have no idea. Okay. You know how every time you open your door and you forget your keys, I don't start like, not interesting. Okay. This is Michael and Jessica. They're a young couple. They haven't done anything. I will never talk to them in the rest of the presentation, but they represent millions of people that might buy our product. Then you will go. The structure will be slides, slides, slides. This is not the story. This is not how we communicate. It is not compelling. And it is not inspiring. It's not creating a connection. And the connection happens emotionally. So to explain this on a better level that people really understand it, about 93, that's a claim, about 93% of how you and I communicate when we do this is the nonverbal. So how I behave, right? If I smile, you smile, this is how we interact. If I put my hands up, or if I uh, raise my voice, I lower my voice, and you can understand happy, not happy, and so on from different. 7% is what I'm actually saying. But that is the spot. 
If I don't have it written, I cannot measure what is the key message of that paragraph, nor what is the emotion I wanted to convey. So what I took is about 500 words. It's about three minutes we do in a demo day. And that would be your spy, writing that, doing storytelling KPI. The key message, the emotions, the link. And, and you've seen a lot of uh, um, pictures and a lot of presentation, a lot of decks and what you know. And sometimes when they get to the product or the competition, they will talk a lot. But in competition, you need to explain there's all these check marks and all these stuff about the companies. And they'll talk 15% about someone else. Mm. But if I ask them, how much, how long did you plan to speak about that presentation, about sorry, that slide? They say, yeah, no, it's, usually it's a minute. Hmm. Would you come unprepared to ask me for a million dollars? I doubt it. Yet, almost everybody does. I hear you. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Resonate that with that a lot. I mean, it, there is a case where people do come a bit unprepared in the way they think about it. Or it. Do you feel that in some way this also causes a scenario where the startups who are not really completely preparing for sort of a um, product or they take a substance in their, in their offering. It's more sort of um, an offering which is not completely refined. It's more story and not substance in that. There's a fear of that as well. If you have a good story, the story will convey the right amount of information. The right. things you actually need to And that is important because we need to understand your business plan. What are you going to do? The roadmap, how much money? In some cases, you want to talk to me about, I know, your MRR, your whatever you want. But you know the data that is important. Okay? Where we make or we start making the mistake is I will give you in 10 minutes every piece of information and hope something sticks but then i'm you will get tired and i'm throwing everything i can at you maybe you like this maybe you like this you're like whoa overwhelming and what and then you can't control the things that you don't agree with or you don't like but they would resonate hard strongest with you. and yeah we never started with does that but uh, and you'll take me down a path that i don't control anymore so we want to have the right amount of information, but writing is also scary for most people because once I write the story, I need to commit. And people think, no, I, I wing it. We will improvise that. I'll, I'll adopt to the audience as if this is your life's mission to be a public speaker. You're not. You just need to speak in public now. So writing also makes you realize the repetition because we have a tendency to repeat it also allows you to pick and choose words it also allows you to choose the emotions and to make sure that some of these things you don't need them but for most people they are afraid to write and i'll give you a nice example imagine we wouldn't build any startups we would only write them right this whole outline and how it looks and how it will measure and how much money we can write the whole world. They do it in books. 
only then we will start and look, ah, we don't need this feature, we control this, we control this. Afterwards, we do the UX UI, and then we go to the benefits. So when I'm saying we need to rethink how we look at the world, is first you imagine, then you write it, then we go to the practical pieces. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is a, it's a very, very strong point. I'm just going to turn my camera for a second, but I just want to kind of clarify a little bit more on that. So you're talking about obviously how the world is changing, but we still need to talk about the storytelling part of it. Do you feel that this, this storytelling art would change, especially with AI and VR and other, other forms of storytelling becoming more and more prominent in, in, in our ways of life? You think that's going to change anything for us, or is it going to stay exactly the same storytelling and storytelling at the end of the day? I don't find anything bad with world changing. Mm -hmm. But people are people who are all the same. True, the cultural differences between us, but that you can teach. I just gave a, um, a keynote about um, the, the combination of marketing, branding, uh, employer branding, and how everything will be affected by AI. But in the end, I need to feed the AI. I need to tell the AI story. It will help me achieve a better outcome. So I still need to know what is important and what's not. I still need to understand, if, to measure if the outcome is good. Okay. So many of us look today, you put in um, the, the prompt you need, and you get a 300-word article or SEO on channel. Say, uh, it's not good. What, how do you know? Hmm. Right? You need some metrics. So I think as long as we need to communicate between us, storytelling will never go away. But I also think we made a mistake when we uh, put storytelling under a soft skin. No way. This is a must skin. You need to practice every single day. And it's funny, I think it's uh, one of the nicest skills. Okay, you and I go to a event, we went to GLC in uh, South Africa, we all stand there in the evenings, right? And I'll ask you, what do you do? What do I do? And, ever, and we tell stories. I remember that time. Right? This is what we did. Give me an example for a client. So we go to these cocktails and people ask questions and no one in that event has a structured answer. No one. No one has a 30-second blurb to explain better what they do, what is it important, when can I talk to them? So storytelling is not a soft skill, it's a must skill. And we might not become the next biggest TED speaker, and that's fine. I'm also not aspiring to become that. We will improve exponentially, and uh, it is the same as going for a run. Okay? So you might not win the marathon. You might not win the 5K in your neighborhood. But from couch potato to 5K in two months, the improvement is exponential. Completely agree with you. And I completely agree with you with part about AI as well. I, I do a lot of talks on AI. I did a PhD in AI. And I can tell you one thing. The prompting is super important. What you input and how you quality assure is super important. So can't just get you know, even if AGI comes tomorrow, we still can't expect it to kind of do magic for us. Stories authentic to us, right? So can't agree more. Yeah, and you know, we have a prompt here. My uh, 
Streetwise is my marketing agency. We have a prompt of 250 words to get a good 300 word out. We still need to review, which is fun. And the interesting thing is to move up the SEO ladder on the search, we don't necessarily need the prompt. We need to ask people what did they like, what they didn't like, how they feel about it. Was it did, it, did it take you from point A to point B? And keep adding things. Okay, so maybe in two years or in I don't know, five years, AI will come back and say, people need this and this information added. It will add it, and it's great. But then I will need to go and sell it, and I'll need to teach it, and I need to give you an example. And I still need to ask you, hello, my friend, how are you? And you say, yeah, I'm good. And I say, no, no, how are you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from what I hear from you, it's obviously very authentic storytelling. Um, I would love to inquire and I'm curious to understand your thoughts on the ethics of storytelling. Uh, obviously, with the rise of, as you mentioned, AI, chat, GPT, there will be manipulations, there will be people that will be more persuasive by finding out details about what a, a person they're pitching to, for example, and then a different story for every person to kind of manipulate people's mindsets, for example. Is there any ethics in storytelling? Is there a right or wrong, for example, in what you can or cannot do in storytelling? I think uh, we're, we're, we're diverting for a very to a very philosophical question. We are indeed, yes. <laughs> if, if, if we say, well, okay, don't, I don't mind, I'm, I'm happy to go down that rabbit hole. People are people. If I'll give you enough time and money, you will become corrupt like everyone else that you don't like. Given. People are people that do not change. You can understand the structure of the human being and the mindset, and then you can work. Manipulation is happening every single day that we see now, I don't know, from media to history to a lot of things. And people choose how to use the words to manipulate. Mm. And I think sales, for many years, people thought, Salespeople are a bad thing because they manipulate me to buying things I don't necessarily want. And here at the beginning, I said the best sale is a no sale. I don't need every client. I have enough clients. I want people to come to my workshop because they want to improve. They want to learn. I want to have clients. So one of my services is startup comes in between eight to 10 hours. I can take them from being lost to the story that they're going to raise funds. And we've done it. I don't know how many times over the last five or six years. And, and we've done it uh, last year with a company in eight hours from completely lost to winning a competition. In, in uh, Asia, number one out of 50 raising that in eight hours. Now, they need to feed me the information for me to be able to help. Same goes into a sales meeting. If I don't need every client, I want the right clients, I will ask the question, if you and I are the right fit, Everybody's happy we can work together. Now, if you'll come in and I will push the sale, and it's not the service you need, you will not go back to other people and recommend or enjoy or come back again. Now, if the market is endless, I can keep this uh, push sale concept, this hustling, whatever you want to call it. But the reason why I'm growing is because I'm saying the right message to the right people that need it at the right time and can afford it. Okay. 
uh, a great way to look at it is uh, when I ask even your members in the workshops, um, who's your target audience? They say everyone. I say, no, <laughs> definitely not everyone. Let's niche down, niche down, and I, I teach how to create a circle. And a big part is that will impact the message, and that will impact how the brand reacts, and that will, and you can take it. People will always manipulate. By the way, sometimes not intentionally. It's because they think, or that's what they believe in, and they will manipulate it. There was, um, I did an interview um, um, in uh, your news uh, a month ago, and she said that well, there's always two sides to the story. I said, no, you, you don't leave the cinema say, wow, I really wonder what happened on the other side. No, there's one story. You can interpret it or manipulate the idea, right? But there is a story. Something happened. I hear you. That, that, that's fascinating. I, and I do agree that if you think about our storytelling in the way like cinema, I think we'll be a much better people to, to talk to, be more succinct, more clear, as you were talking about going to a meeting or GLC, for example, we don't have a three seconds elevator pitch of who we are, what we do. I think that's such a shame. That's yeah. opportunity for everybody there, right? Yeah, so I teach, um, there's, I went back to one of the worst things in Israel is what people say in the startup world, Ah, I love it. Uh, send me a blurb. Then you see this confused face standing in the middle of a conference like, yeah. What do we send? Do we send a one page? We send an email. It's in the text. It's in the email itself. People are like, uh, and I said, it's interesting because where does the word blurb come from? And I checked in the book, where does it come from? And I leave this for the people reading the book. But the solution was that what we could create that blurb it serves our purpose as a startup, as a company, as a founder, and how to create that. And I want to remind people, 30 seconds, a minute, is a lot of time. A demo day, startup gets three minutes. It's about 500 words in English. That's a lot. That's an article in the newspaper. Now, I'll ask the, the audience listening now is right about 70, 80 words to explain what you do or how you do it. And you see it's a paragraph and it's 30 seconds. And a conversation and a cocktail, 30 seconds is a lot. And the next time someone says, hey, so, so what's your business or what do you do? Start this. Okay. And for many people, even though we're business people and we all own I don't know, at least one or two businesses. When people ask us, what do you do? People are conflicted about what they say. And I think some people think it's cool to start with, first of all, I'm family dad. Okay. Why, why, why? I asked you, what do you do? And then, and then everybody starts to be a bit confused and you can solve it. You tell a story, you tell actually, what do you do? Why is it important? Define who you are. What's the problem is when I'm asking you to define who you are. Because you have to write it. And sometimes when we write it, we're like, hmm, I don't like this. It's not exactly what we do. Go to your websites, look at the first line that explains what you do. And now you're going to smile around. Look at the startups you invested in. And look at the one line of what they do. And you'll understand that you don't understand what they do. 
AI machine learning concept based on a crypto technology doesn't mean anything. I don't understand what they do. I can't help you. It might resonate about, ah, I understand how they do using this technology. And now 90% of the startups we meet are something AI. Okay, what's the differentiation from you guys? When do I use that platform? Okay. So in order to uh, agree in a story, a connection has to be created. How? I need to understand. So if I look at a website today and we get um, zero point something milliseconds of, of looking at a website and we don't understand what we do, we're out. We opt out without even noticing. Subconsciously, we're out. And then we'll scroll to the next website. The same thing will happen when we go to a demo day, when we meet a startup, when we meet company. So clarifying what we do, how we do it, why it's interesting, having a 30-second blurb about ourselves or about our business. These are tasks that for most people are very complicated to do because we believe they're one shot. But if storytelling is a skill, you start today, it will be completely different in a year, 12 months, 14 months, 18 months, whatever you want to have. Uh, the, the example is I started doing public speaking because I was very good in a friend setting and a meeting, casual, but putting me on stage would be uh, a bit awkward. And I would get confused and things didn't work out, and even though I planned and I wrote it. And... So I went teaching. For the last 10 years, I'm teaching in colleges and universities. The reason is because entrepreneurs will be nice to you and say, thank you, that was, that was great. And then they'll tell their friend that that sucked. But students will stand up, especially in Israel, and say, teach. Nah, not good. I don't agree with you. Okay? And that's the only way I could improve. So I'm encouraging people to say, I'm not good at this. I need to improve my storytelling skills because it will serve in my business, with my friends, with my colleagues, with my family. And again, it is the skill we use the most, yet practice the least. Completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. I think um, I always shied away from public speaking as well. And recently, I took the the big jump to do Toastmasters. And I must say, I sucked really bad initially. But then over the last two sessions, I started to really enjoy it. And actually, the more I enjoy it, the more I'm actually sort of winning these, these small prizes to kind of have into his masters. And I think it's actually a, a great skill to have, tell stories. I think it's something which I, it's it's not spoken enough about, I, I feel. Yeah, I actually had um, a call with someone who was um, helping with the last part of the editing of the book um, from Asia. Um, and she told me I've been in Toastmasters for 15 years. And I think there's a few nuggets that people need to learn. And uh, one of the host, um, uh, I think we're going to host like a, a dinner or something when I get there. But the idea that we can always learn or improve that structure. And the fact that there's many ways to structure that. So, and the more times we do the same process, it becomes, first of all, faster and easier for us. But we also start to understand, mm, I don't like this piece. This should move here. And the logic for us will become uh, more coherent. Hmm, not good, this is not good, and so on. You know? and, and 
I love what Toastmasters are doing, taking people who feel uncomfortable and, and taking them to the next step. Because I wish we had it, or I knew it here many years ago when I started, I didn't need to start by myself. No. So I, I, I love it. And I also think that in today's world, as long as you have a skill of sales, storytelling, and all these, let's say, one-on-one uh, -on -one skills, okay, we need to communicate a certain way. And the more we practice this, it will serve when we need to even apply for a job. Okay. Completely with you. Well, this takes us back to sort of maybe Pichana journey. We obviously met because we both were communicating and talking, and we were obviously had a trick in hand. We were just going around talking to people, and we met each other at GLC, and we met through EO, this organization. Nir, tell me a little bit about your, your journey. How, how did it come about and how has it impacted your life, if any? I joined in late 2015. I was um, running my agency. It was more, I was just kind of like trying to figure out if I need to scale or if I stay with one or two employees. I didn't, was a bit lost about where I'm going with this. But I also owned a bar, it was successful. Um, it was my third or my fourth. I did some other stuff. I was teaching. Like life was okay, but nothing major. And every year I fly to Berlin for two weeks to write. And I start to work on my second novel. And I fly there. And I get a phone call from a, a dear friend. And he says, uh, where are you? In Berlin, writing. He says, no, no, I know that. Listen, um, it's my bachelor party. And one of the guys just bailed. We're boarding the plane now. In six hours, we have dinner reservation. I'm like, no, 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 no. No drinking, no going out. I'm here to write. He says, no, no, one dinner. We have a seat. We have to join. Everybody will be happy to see you. And 48 hours later, I don't remember most of them, we're standing at the train station. Everybody's very hungover. And I'm talking to one of the guys, which, funny enough, was my army sergeant that I hated. He's the reason why I still have problems with my back and my knees. And um, we started to talk about business, and he has an accounting firm. We spoke about stuff, and I explained to him my problems and my issues. And we went from me being really angry at him for 15 years to having an open discussion about things. He said, I have something for you. And he lives in the US, and so I'll connect you. And he connected me to here. And when I joined, the interesting thing was that I didn't get it. It's a cult. I don't understand it. And I said, I'll try and take my agency from where it was to the million dollar mark. So if I sell my bar, whatever, I'm, I'm my own business owner that qualifies. Um, that took me on an interesting journey. To be honest, what really made the difference for me in Ego is when I decided to own it, um, I was about to quit. You know, I didn't get it. It was nice, but my form wasn't amazing. Like, it should have been. Um, and I said, you know what? One last chance before I quit. And that was about a year after I joined. And I decided that I need to see what is this global organization idea. So, um, I don't know if you know this. We used to have, I think we still have um, a partnership with Sixth. There, there used to be a great partner. I think there still are. 
And I called them and I said, listen, I'm a new member. And um, next month, I'm going to travel eight chapters in Europe. And I need a car and we need to promote the partnership. So they gave me a free BMW M5 for a month. And uh, being an Israeli, I asked if it includes the gas. And they're like, don't push it, kid. And, uh, <laughs> and um, for a month, I went Berlin, Amsterdam, Munich, Italy. I drove 4,000 kilometers and met dozens of your members. And for me, that was the beginning of the journey to learn. And I think I made thousands of people. And I made, I don't know how many hundreds of friends and people along the way. And for me, being able to play a small part in their journey and helping them in their business and speaking in their chapters has been a fundamental change in my life. And um, it also showed me that people are all the same. It also showed me that where things are lacking. Um, I'm still blown away when I speak with about 60 or 70 EO members in a chapter and I teach them something about branding or customer journey and everybody goes like, oh, I can't believe you made this mistake. But it's all of them. And then you go to a different country. And all have, oh, I can't believe it. And you know, so we are the same. I can prove it. I've done it. I've visited over 40 chapters. I don't know how many people I've met. Uh, <clears throat> I think... If you are able to make a small dent in a very nice and positive way with someone, if someone is down and you're able to push them a bit, a bit towards the okay level, okay, or if you're able to inspire someone, for me, that's why I kind of get my strength to keep going and, and doing this and teaching more. You know, um, I, I believe we need to decide what's our space in the world. You know, and um, I think the last thing I would share that we're now talking we're about like, almost 70 days into this horrible war that's going on in Israel. And, and when I had to launch the book, I've been doing 15 hours a day of this talking on podcasts and stuff and explaining and, and, and trying to get things moving and stuff. I was completely out of your business is not something to think about. Then how, how do you launch a book? So it seems so meaningless and everything. And some EO members from around the world came together and said, hey, you did so many, so many things for us. Let us, we'll, we'll do it for you. And in the situation where we didn't talk about business or work at all on social media or between us, and um, my whole plan went to shit. I couldn't, everything was ready. And EO members from Canada, South Africa, from Europe, from Australia, from Shanghai, they all came together. And they helped put my book, uh, uh, they put it on Amazon number one. Okay. So an organization is a great tool for things. And whether you, you qualify or not, that's great. Whether you're part of something or not, that's great. Make sure you have an amazing group of people around you to, to take you on this, to, to take with you on this journey. And I'll never forget what you did for me, you know, and then some, but by the way, uh, some, some of them, helped me organize workshops and the outcome was that their business is now improving. And they said, I came to help you, but I've gotten so much more, you know? That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, congratulations on, 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 the, on the book launch, number one on Amazon. It's, 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 I'm, I'm sure it's a great feeling. 
well done you and as you come towards the end of our journey today on this podcast obviously uh and looking forward to seeing you in person in bangkok very soon where can near where can people find you where, where, where do you hang out social media speaking obviously so i'm coming back after um, a bit more than two months of being out of it so i think linkedin has been a big thing the last six or seven months um go to mirzavaro.com i'm trading um or i'm reinstating my newsletter of a million one million stories and the idea is to take you on my journey around the world things i'm learning the good and the bad um building in public the platforms i'm doing um how many sales are we doing how are things going and i hope that the one million storytellers will become something big that we can all do together maybe meet somewhere we do some stuff but feel free to reach out anyway from the website whatever you want if you have a great idea write it down okay that's how my books starts i it's called fuck the slides because i had a good title I said, ah, shit, now I need to write a book. And uh, the, the next book is called The Business Catcher. And I'm Love starting it. in January. So. Well, all the best with that. I know it's going to be a killer book. Uh, and Nir, I just wanted to thank you so, so much for coming today on the podcast. It is so good to hear from you. You obviously are a, a, an expert, a genius at what you do. Storytelling is something I always believed in, but now even more so. So. Thank you so much for reinstating the, the faith in storytelling. And indeed, I can't wait to, to see you very soon in, in flesh when you come to Bangkok. Thank you very much for having me.